preaching now. <laughs> hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. It's possible that you could run into an angel, you could have an interaction with an angel and not even realize it. You know, there are plenty enough angels to run into. Um, we might have run into one or two or many in our life. In fact, you think about how many there are in Revelation chapter 5 verse 11 talking about the throne of God, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, that is God's throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now I want you to think about that number, how many angels there are, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, that's a lot of angels. That's a mighty big number. David Jeremiah helps us get some perspective here. He writes, the average football stadium in America holds about 50,000 people. It would take some 2,000 stadiums of that size to hold 100 million people. So think about 2,000 um, football stadiums that hold a 50,000 each. The total number of angels John saw may have far exceeded 100 million. 
10,000 was the highest numerical figure used in the Greek language. 10,000 times 10,000 may have been John's way of describing an inexpressibly large company of angels. Think about it, 100 million probably plus angels. But the interesting thing is we only know the name of two of them. We only know the name of two of them. The Bible only gives us the name of two angels. I probably can uh, ask and poll, and you can come up with the two, and maybe in your mind you already have. A lot of you probably have already thought about Gabriel because we're talking about Christmas time and we see Gabriel there. And the other angel that we're told the name of is the angel Michael. Now, just as an aside, let me give you a quick word about Michael and then we'll talk more about Gabriel today. Well, we're going to hang out with Gabriel, but just a quick word about Michael. Michael is an archangel. Now, some believe that Gabriel also is an archangel, um, but we know that Michael is, according to Jude, verse 9. Uh, some believe that Michael is the only archangel. Uh, Jeremiah, again, says in the writings outside the Bible, no individual angel has gained more prominence than Michael. He ranks as the greatest of all angels, whether in Christian, Jewish, or Islamic literature. Billy Graham referred to Michael as the prime minister in God's administration of the universe. It is generally believed that Michael's voice will be the one heard to announce the return of Christ at the rapture of the church. It appears from information in the Bible that Michael is the protecting and fighting angel. He's the protecting and fighting angel. And Gabriel is the preaching or announcing angel. Each of them has his own job description and carries out God's will with perfection. Now, just thinking about Michael for a moment, a tremendous angel, perhaps the only archangel, we're not sure, but one of the most prominent, if not the most prominent angel in all the world. But then we come today to the angel that we know of as Gabriel. And we want to talk a little bit about Gabriel today. And so um, I'll give you some scriptures to go through. I'll give you some references. When it comes to Gabriel, Gabriel appears four times in the Bible. And each time that Gabriel appears, he brings along good news. We find him first in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. And he's helping Daniel to interpret Daniel's vision. And he also gives him the prophecy of the 70 weeks. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 16, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And then in Daniel 9, 21, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, being, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And so we have Gabriel appearing to Daniel way back in the Old Testament. That's the first two times. And then we find him a third time in the New Testament, the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. Now we did a study uh, I think it was this year, wasn't it, on John the Baptist. And so we looked a little bit at that. But we find him there appearing to Zacharias, if you remember the story. And he's bringing the news that Zacharias and his wife are going to give birth to John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, verse 19, And the angel answered and said to him, Now listen to what he says about himself. I am Gabriel. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. 
and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. And so Gabriel tells Zacharias, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and God has sent me here to bring you these glad tidings. And then in the very same book, a little bit later on, we find Gabriel appears again. This time he appears to a teenage girl by the name of Mary. And this brings us to our text this morning in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Now, we don't know if we've met an angel or not, but Mary did. Mary met an angel, and her whole world changed because of the message that that angel brought to her from God. Look with me, if you will, in your copy of the Scriptures in Luke chapter 1. I want to read Luke 1, 26-38, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more here about the fact that Mary met an angel. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered, well, what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son, in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Would you notice as we think about this account of Mary meeting an angel, as we think about Gabriel here, Would you notice that Gabriel was sent by God? He was sent by God. Angels do not have their own agendas. Uh, They don't have to figure out how to fill their time. They are ministering spirits. They are servants to Almighty God. And they go at His bidding. And they do the job that He assigns for them to do. And since they have emotion, and by the way, if you weren't with us last week, we kind of did a whole um, time together on Angels 101. And you can go back and get that. Uh, online, but we, we talked about Angels 101, and we looked at some of the basics, and we know that angels, they have emotion. And I imagine that Gabriel was very excited to get to bring this particular message to Mary, um, the virgin who was betrothed or engaged to Joseph. Now, we don't know exactly where this took place, and it's not vital that we know. The fact of the matter is, the truth is, it did take place. Gabriel was sent by God, and he showed up and he brought a message from God. 
That's what he was doing. He brought a message from God. And I want to spend a few minutes together today looking at the message that Gabriel brought from God to Mary. Now remember, these are not just Gabriel's words. He's the messenger. The message that he brings is from God for this young lady, this virgin named Mary. He comes in, and I want you to notice, first of all, that he exhorted Mary. The first word that he says to Mary is what? Rejoice. Rejoice. Be filled with joy, Mary. Well, the question, of course, is why? Why should she rejoice? Why should she be filled with joy? Well, he goes on to explain. She was highly favored. Notice three things. She was highly favored. The Lord was with her. And she was blessed among women. Of all the Jewish ladies that desired to be the one that would carry the Messiah, uh, Mary had that privilege. Uh, Now, Mary was certainly a wonderful young lady, uh, a godly young woman. I want you to never forget that it was God's grace that gave this privilege to her. It was God's grace. And um, Mary alone had this privilege. But you know, the interesting thing is the same types of things that were said to Mary could be said to us as believers. Remember, he said for her to rejoice that she was highly favored and the Lord was with her and she was blessed. Did you know that's true about you, Christian? Did you know that you too are told to rejoice in Philippians 4.4? Did you know that we're favored by God? Psalm uh, Psalm chapter 5, verse 12, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. The Lord is always with us, promising us he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And of course, who who of us today would not say that we're blessed? I mean, all of us are blessed. I think of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The truth of the matter was, yes, Mary's situation was a really once in a lifetime and one person chosen to carry the Messiah, to bring forth the Son of God into this world. But the things said to her can also be said to us in many regards. We should be filled with joy. We should rejoice. The Lord is with us. The Lord has shown favor to us. The Lord has blessed us. And we should bless His holy name. Now Mary was troubled by the appearance of Gabriel and his message. Um, She couldn't wrap her arms around the message that he brought to her. We can understand that, can't we? So I want you to notice he not only exhorted Mary to rejoice, he also encouraged Mary. Uh, Look at verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. And again, he encourages her, For you found favor with God. Did you notice how kind and gentle Gabriel is here with Mary? He reassures her, saying, Listen, you don't need to fear. Um, God is blessing you. God has favored you. God is giving you a privilege. And then he continues his message. And this is where we come to the part that's very, very important where Gabriel gives revelation. I'm not talking about the book of Revelation, but he gives revelation. He reveals truth here of what's taking place and what's about to happen with Mary. And I want you to notice the revelation beginning in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And then he tells her, you shall call his name Jesus. And then he begins to talk about Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Highest. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In other words, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. You've been waiting, and Israel's been waiting all these years. Remember, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that 400 silent years. And now we have Gabriel bursting on the scene with this good news. The Messiah is coming. Mary, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And I love what comes next in the story. If you ever wondered if Mary was a real girl, and remember back in this culture, in this day, she would have been a teenage girl, a young girl. If you ever wondered, was she a real girl? Her next words leave no doubt in our mind that she was a real girl. Verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? How can this be? In other words, in order to give birth, something has to happen. I've never had that happen, so how in the world am I going to give birth? Because Mary knew that she was a virgin. She had never known a man. And so Gabriel then goes from giving the revelation to providing and giving an explanation. Because he's going to answer her question here. And in verse 35, he begins to kind of let her know. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called, listen, the Son of God. Mary, God the Holy Spirit is going to put this child within your womb. And you're going to give birth as a virgin to the Son of God. Now remember, I've got to remind you. That Christmas time and the birth of Jesus is not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus always has been because Jesus is God. But it's the beginning of his incarnation as he's placed in the womb. That is, God became man without ceasing to be God. And Jesus robes himself in flesh, the perfect God-man. And he did that to take our place. He did that to live as a man among men. But he still remained God. And so Mary's going to bring forth the Son of God. He further encourages her, verses 36 and 37, and he talks about Elizabeth. Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. We know that's John the Baptist. This is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. He's going to be the forerunner, the one who goes before Jesus. And in verse 37, in case she's still kind of wondering and doubting, because this doesn't happen every day. In fact, this never happens. This is, this is not normal. He, he encourages her in verse 37, for with God nothing will be impossible. By the way, do you believe that? Amen. For with God nothing is impossible. You might have a challenge. You came in today and you said, there's no way that anything can be done about this. There's no way this can be corrected. There's no way this can be fixed. There's no way that good can come out of this. Can I just remind you what it says here? For with God, nothing will be impossible. Who can stay God's hand and say, what doest thou? Who can ask or tell God what to do? For with God, nothing is impossible. And then those beautiful words from Mary here. She says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, Mary said yes. Now, if you stop and think about Mary for a moment, you talk about a yes that was going to equal a lot of trouble. I mean, how is she going to explain this? 
All of a sudden, now she's engaged, she's betrothed to Joseph, and yet before they come together, she's found with child, but she's done nothing wrong. She hasn't sinned, she hasn't been unfaithful, she's not committed adultery, she's done none of those things. Instead, she's been favored and blessed of God, she's with child, and yet others will mock her, I'm sure. Others will whisper, others will point. What will Joseph say? What will her parents say? What will the family say? What will the village say? But she says... Yes, let it be to me according to your word. What a message and what a response. Gabriel was privileged to carry the news and Mary was privileged to carry the Savior. Now I want you to notice something here. When when Gabriel brings this message to Mary, I want you to notice where his focus is. He doesn't focus on himself. He doesn't burst in and say, you know, I'm Gabriel, look at me. I'm here. You're blessed because I'm here. He never says that. No, in fact, he doesn't mention himself at all. His focus is on Mary. We've already noted that he exhorts her to rejoice. He encourages her. He reveals tremendous truth to her. He provides an explanation to a very logical question that she has. She, he reassures her. He, he ministers in a real sense to her. So his focus is not on himself, it's on Mary. And ultimately his focus is upon the Lord Jesus, the Savior. He talks about Jesus over and over. He's going to be great. He's going to be the Son of the Highest. He's going to rule of His kingdom to be no end. He's talking about the Savior, Jesus, God, over and over and over and over again. As I thought about Gabriel here, I thought what a tremendous example he is for us this Christmas season. Imagine if we live with this kind of focus. If we, if we live like Gabriel did here. First of all, we go out and we focus on other people. The Bible is very clear. It says to consider others better than yourselves. That's what it says. Imagine if we went out this Christmas season as we're living our life Day by day, and I know it's busy, and I know it's hectic, and I know a lot of things are going on. But if we were other-centered in what we're doing, imagine the difference it would make in their lives. And imagine the difference it would make in our lives. As we think about others. Yes, Lord, others. May this my motto be. And then we go to the next step. Imagine if we live with this kind of focus, focusing on others while we mainly focus upon the Lord. You see, beloved, that's why we focus on others. Because we know the Lord, because the Lord has saved us, because the Lord has changed us, He's made it possible for us to love others and focus on others and minister to others and serve others. Why? Because in our own hearts, we're self-centered and selfish. And yet, because Christ is transforming us, the Spirit's working in our hearts, we can begin to think about other people. You know, I noticed here, really, in a real sense, Gabriel comes and he gives the good news. He gives the good news. The Messiah is coming. The Savior who's going to save us from our sin. And you see, Christmas, that's what it's all about. And as we're sharing with others, as we're telling the each other Merry Christmas and thinking about this time of the year, we need to remember that Christmas is not just a sentimental story, it's a salvation story. It's a rescue story. 
It's not just something for us to feel warm and fuzzy about as we sit by the Christmas tree sipping hot chocolate, thinking about the little baby in a manger. The truth of the matter is he's not in the manger anymore. And he went to a cross, but he's not on the cross anymore. And he went to a tomb, but he's not at the tomb anymore. He's alive forevermore, and he's coming again. And he's the Savior. And we need to be telling people about that. What a wonderful opportunity it is as people think about the reason for the season. We talk about Jesus to realize this is a rescue story. Why? Because we were in our sin, dead and lost and condemned for a devil's hell. But Jesus stepped in and robed himself in flesh and lived a sinless, perfect life and then voluntarily, voluntarily, Gave his life on the cross. We think about angels this Christmas season. He could have called legions of angels to rescue him. But he didn't. Truth of the matter is, Jesus could have spoke the world out of existence. He could have destroyed everything and everyone had he chosen to. But he didn't. Remember this, beloved. Even before he created us, he knew this was going to have to happen. Because he's God. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And he willingly, voluntarily stepped into flesh, stepped into our world, lived as a man among men, and then gave his life on the cross that we might have eternal life. And it's yours for the taking today. You've never received Jesus Christ. You need to recognize you've done wrong, you've sinned, and that sin separates you from a holy God. But God loves you so much he sent Christ to take your sin upon himself to bear your sin upon the cross. And if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith totally and completely in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says He forgives you your sin. He makes you His child. He gives you a home in heaven forever. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within you and He begins to work in you to make you like Jesus. And it's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. And it's yours for the taking today. And if you've never received Christ, I want to encourage you this day to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. There will be an opportunity if you have more questions at the end. When we have the, the uh, last song, you and Timmy will talk more about that if you have further questions. Now back to Gabriel for a moment. I want you to notice the last words of verse 38. It says, And the angel departed from her. That's interesting that that's included. We would think that would be a given, right? But the scripture writer, the Holy Spirit, made sure to include those words. And the angel departed from her. In other words, Gabriel didn't hang around. Gabriel didn't wait for praise. He didn't dawdle. He delivered his message and went on his way. Because that's what angels do. They carry out their God-given assignment. When they've completed that assignment, they go again to the next assignment, or they go back to the throne, or go back to the Father, go back to God for the next assignment. In other words, they carry out the mission, and then they depart. They carry out the mission, and then they depart. This reminds me of one of the dangers of studying angels. You say, really? There's a danger in studying angels? Well, yes, because some people, if they're not careful, can get so enamored with angels. They just get mesmerized by angels encountering an angel, seeing an angel, communicating with an angel, talking to an angel, um, listening to an angel. 
if you're not careful, you can get so caught up with the angels that you miss Jesus. You miss Jesus. I think there are a lot of folks in the world who love angels that don't love Jesus. I mean, they wouldn't say that, but they, they, their whole thought is just angels. They're just all into angels. And we were reminded that angels are created beings. We talked about that last week. They're ministering spirits. They minister to us who are the children of God. But as you read God's word, what we notice about angels is angels point people not to themselves. No, they direct people to Jesus. They point people to Jesus. We see it here, do we not? Gabriel comes in, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Um, you're going to bring forth uh, a son, he'll be called Jesus. He's going to um, have his kingdom, there'll be no end. Jesus, 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 and then Gabriel departs. And it's another good example. We should do the same thing in our lives. We're not living here to draw attention to ourselves. We're here to point other people to Jesus. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men. So, the light that we've received, we reflect the light of the Lord. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works, what the scripture says. And so as we live our Christian life, we're out, we're shining brightly, we're doing good works. And the Bible says there, let your lights shine before men, that they see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Not glorify ourselves. Not draw attention to ourselves. Gabriel comes in. He gives the message. He gives an explanation. He encourages Mary. And he goes on his way. Really, that's what our life is all about. Living as Christians, we're to be out living our life for Christ, shining our light for Christ, doing good works for Christ. And as other people see that, we point them to Jesus. We point them to Jesus. We point them to Jesus. He alone is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. We are but servants of His, just as the angels are. We are but created beings. Now, He loves us, and I don't discount that. He loves us with an unconditional, unending love. A perfect love. He cares about us. I'm not diminishing that at all. But I'm telling you, and I'm telling myself today, reminding us today, that we don't live for ourselves. The focus is not us. The focus is the Lord. Because the world teaches the exact opposite, doesn't it? It's all about you. Get fame. Get notoriety. Get power. Get yourself out there. Build yourself up. Show the world yourself. But then the Bible comes along and messes that up, doesn't it? Because the Bible comes along and says, no, show people Jesus. Live your life for Jesus. Tell others about Jesus. Point others to Jesus. I mean, think about it. This is Gabriel, possibly an archangel, can fly swiftly, powerful, I imagine he could wipe out villages with his power. And yet, what does he do? He comes in, he's very gracious, very kind. He deals with Mary in a very kind way, shares the message, encourages her, and then departs. Never once saying, look at me, I'm Gabriel. No, look, Jesus is coming. So let's be encouraged by this. Now, we're not done 
with the angels. We're going to go on another um, excursion, if you will, next week as we continue with the Christmas angels. But I want to ask you today as we close together, when it comes to the one that Gabriel announced and that Mary brought forth, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Have you received him? If not, may I encourage you to receive him today. And then if you do know him, if you do know him, are you telling others about him? Are you pointing others to him? In what way could you this Christmas season point someone else to Jesus? Think about that. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we love you today. We're grateful for your goodness to us. We're grateful for your care and your love and your mercy. Now, Lord, I don't know where everybody is today when it comes to their spiritual life. I imagine in a group this size there may be one or many who are not sure of their eternal destiny. I pray your Holy Spirit to minister to their hearts this very moment and bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then for my brothers and sisters, Lord, as we think about the great sacrifice that Lord Jesus you made in coming to be a man, the God-man, leaving behind for a time the splendors and glories of heaven to live a humble life among sinners and then giving your life on that cross and then taking it up again. Father, help us to live an other-centered life and ultimately live a Christ-centered life. You care about people. It's obvious that's why you came. May we have the same heart. May we take the time in the busyness of life to stop and share love and Christ with people that cross our path. May we not be in such a hurry that we don't have time for people. Lord Jesus, you model it in your own life as we see you moving through the crowds and at times move with compassion. Lord, may we have that same compassion today. We thank you and love you and praise you. And thank you for these servants, these angels that minister to your children. And Lord, thank you for letting us be your children. Now work and move in our invitation, I pray. May you have your will and your way in this place. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've left plenty of time today. If you need to talk with someone about Christ, we would love to talk with you. Pastor Larry's here. I'm here. Others in our congregation would be happy to talk with you. But maybe you need to receive Christ. We would encourage you as we sing this closing song to come let us know that. We'd love to minister to you. Or maybe the Lord's touched your heart about something else. Maybe someone you want to share Christ with or whatever. Maybe you just want to come and pray on your own. The altar's open for you as well. Whatever the need might be, the altar's open. Our closing hymn is 188. It came upon the midnight clear. And as we stand and sing, you come as God leads you. Let's stand together. 188. It came upon the midnight clear. Mm-hmm.